0: My guest today is Shahram Daneshmand, a.k.a. Dr. D, who shares his struggle as a young immigrant leaving behind the comfortable life he had in Iran and coming to the States with challenges that teenagers can relate easily. Challenge of fitting in, especially when you look different and speak little English. Forty years later, he's a successful high-risk obstetrician with a passion to help women and children. Besides his private practice and medical spa, he founded Miracle Babies, a nonprofit organization with a mission to reunite sick newborns with their families. Let me warn you if you love babies, and let's be real, almost everyone that I know does, you're going to love what Dr. D does. As you will hear, his passion for his causes and life is intoxicating. His vision and his suggestions on how to create success is insightful. I'm already using his idea of multiple whiteboards around the house, and I'm sure you will learn something as well. It was an honor to sit with Dr. D and chat with him. So grab your cup of tea and join me in this episode of Empowering Conversations. Welcome to the Empowering Conversations Podcast, a place to get inspired, challenged, and empowered by stories of immigrants who build their success from zero. I'm your host, Mehran.
1: Thank you, Dr. Donishman. It's a great pleasure and honor to be here. I know that you have a very busy schedule, so I truly appreciate this time that you have given me to be interviewing you
2: thank you so much it's my honor thank you for having me
1: you go by sean but we know that your name is shahram
2: yeah my first name is shahram but my middle name is sean so usually people call me sean you know but you know if my mom is angry with me she'll call me shahram
0: (laughs) (laughs) so um, do you want me to call you with shahram or sean whatever is
2: easiest for you honestly
1: Can you tell us a little bit about your immigration story, you know, the time that you came? Basically give us a sense of your life at a time. Take us back then and the challenges that you had and the opportunities maybe that you had at the time.
2: Of course. You know, my parents met in uh, George Washington University and moved to Louisiana for my father to go to LSU to get his master's in civil engineering. That's where they had me. So I was born in Baton Rouge Louisiana. And then at the age of three and a half, we moved to Iran because my father, unfortunately, had lost his father at a very young age when he was six years old to laryngeal cancer. And my grandmother had raised three sons. And when my grandmother ended up having a heart attack, you know, all three sons moved to Iran. And so my childhood years were really amazing years, in all honesty. I mean, I remember my times in Iran. As you know, Iran was a very westernized Middle Eastern country. And, you know, so traveling to Europe was very frequent for all of us. My dad was very successful. Uh, in Iran and had built a company where more than 2,000 people worked with them until the revolution happened. So those years were phenomenal prior to that. We had two full-time chefs in our house, you know, I had a driver taking me to school coming back. Somehow though I think my parents maintained us to be as humble as possible. We didn't understand those luxuries until obviously everything ended Mm -hmm. right so one day i went to school and school was segregated and all of a sudden you know our history book has been shredded to pieces so i came home and i remember telling my dad i said dad look what's happened to our history book and he said he looked at my mom i still remember that the room my mom was in and he said we're leaving and that was it so we lost you know pretty much everything so probably the first lesson uh that i think is very important for our younger generation is the value of time Mm -hmm. you know i always tell my daughter who's now 14 and a half years old that. Time is one of those gifts of life that we really don't pay much attention to. And for whatever reason, as human beings, we're very primitive in understanding it until we're really into our late 30s or early 40s. That's when we start all of a sudden paying attention to the concept of time and that nothing remains consistent in life. right? So I always um, remind my daughter because here is someone who had it all at a, at, a, at a very young age right, and all of a sudden everything was taken away. We moved to Rome for about you know eight months to a year, and over there I still was living comfortably. We're living in a somewhat of a hotel and going to an uh, all-American school there. During that time, I obviously looked Middle Eastern. It was during the hostage crisis, and going to school was very difficult because I'd forgotten all the language. You know, up until four years of age, I spoke English, and then when I went to Iran, everyone started speaking to me in Farsi. And so I obviously forgot my English. So going to a school and learning the language again and also not understanding really, you know, kids don't care about, you know, they don't understand that this is not your fault. They see the politics and unfortunately, however way they've been, their minds have been trained by their family or caretakers, you know, they may lash out. And that's what happened. Rome was difficult for me. I also have a younger sister who's five years younger, and for Nasi, it was obviously, she was much younger, the kids at that time were not recognizing color or religion or differences as much. So for me, it was a setback. At the same time, it was probably one of the greatest gifts in my life, you know, I talked about this a little bit prior to our interview, that, you know, these challenges sometimes end up becoming our best lessons in life.
1: How old were you when you moved to Rome? So
2: I was about 10 and a half, almost 11. I see.
1: Uh, Most of the people that I do interview are immigrants, meaning that they were born in another country. But your situation was a little unique because you moved back and you... Again, entered as somewhat right. of an immigrant,
2: sure. yeah. with
1: um, similar yeah. challenges.
2: My parents were in their 30s. You know, my my dad was 39, my mom was you know 34 years old, and at a young age, you know, these people had to just all of a sudden, just like many other families, right, had to kind of find a life again. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we were contemplating, are they going to live? you know, in Rome? Are we going to live in Italy? Are we going to move to London where my uncles were? Finally, we moved actually to Brighton in England. And after four months, my mom said, I want to go back home to the States. And we had a lot of great American friends who also were very instrumental in our move to Los Angeles. So we came to LA and thus we started our life here again. And here I am, you know, 40 years later.
1: Wow. What were some of the challenges that you had when you moved
2: to LA? For me, as, as a young person, the English language was something that I was learning. I was also learning that, again, it's not all rosy. And I was beginning to understand differences. For example, Marianne, I'm not a very religious person. Mm-hmm. My family was in Iran, for example. Two of my best friends were Jewish. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so when, they, when I came to Los Angeles, they found me. One of them lives in New York and said, Sean, did you know I was Jewish? Did you know I had a lot of struggles there? I, said, I had no idea because we were never really raised with... Oh, you have to believe in this religion or that religion. We respected really all religions and all creatures living on this planet. And that's really how my parents brought us up. So the challenges, I would say, was just for a young person learning the language and trying to basically fit in. But I have to also say that, Mehran, I think you know Americans are very welcoming, very kind. And you know all the opportunities that we have right now, as far as my professional life, for example, if it wasn't for Americans, I would not be here right now either. So I think as a a culture, they were very giving and very, very kind as well. I'm not sure if the same would have been reciprocated in other places.
1: There was something that you mentioned, and that was the challenge of fitting in. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, I mean, I think, you know, you you realize that you've left a place where everyone looks similar to you. And as, as human beings, we tend to want to assimilate with people that look like us, think like us, and that's human nature. So obviously coming here, people look different than I did. And some treated me differently as well. And so those are some of the challenges that you have to kind of overcome. And we have to remind ourselves again, it's only our thoughts that push us forward or hinder us from moving forward and I have to strengthen my mind a little bit more to realize it doesn't matter some of the people that are seeing unfortunately just the superficial layers are not the ones that I want to really associate with and there are plenty we are all very much alike more than 99% of our DNA is the same you know if you can see beyond those superficial barriers that top layer of the epidermis then you can certainly achieve a whole lot more. So. That was probably, it took me a while to understand that, you know, and it's, it continues to be a, you know, daily thought process. You have to continue pushing forward. Absolutely. Because you face those challenges everywhere.
1: Well, most of us agree that you are a successful person. Did you think that you would be where you are today?
2: first thank you i mean i don't see myself really as a successful person i am you know i feel like i'm very lucky where i am in life success for me honestly is defined as where am i in my personal life where am i in my social life where am i in my professional life and where am i with my community right so i think that a person to achieve success really needs to have a balance between all those four areas in their life and I think that that's what I try to strive for meaning if I come to work and everyone says oh my god Dr. Dhanushman you're like this you're amazing you're that but I go home and I've got my daughter and my wife who hate my guts or are always upset with me I haven't achieved success I'm trying to strive for a balance in all those areas what am I doing in my personal life with my friends with my family what am I doing in my social life and also how am I giving back to my community mm-hmm. right so I've got a lot more work to do. None of these things would work out for me at scripts or at Miracle Babies or at my you know, medical spa. And anything I do, if I don't have the right players there, you have to have the right people aligned. That's the way you can be successful.
1: How do you choose the right people?
2: You cannot be 100% always right. You've read the book, uh, The Blink or Blink. Yeah. So Malcolm Gladwell, I trust my instincts a lot. So you got to see people and meet with them and talk to them and see if these people are aligned. And you got to be more of a listener than more of a speaker.
1: How many hours do you work?
2: A lot of hours. I work a lot of hours, but at the same time, again, I have a lot of whiteboards in my house. I love whiteboards. And again, those four things, personal, professional, social, and community are always in my face. And so I'm always seeing that and reminding myself work is important. But again, you have to create a balance within that structure. So if I'm just doing one, I don't consider myself to be successful. If I'm just good in one of them, right? So how do you
1: balance them?
2: I remind myself again remember value time. Number two, remember the importance of thoughts. Your brain will follow what your thoughts are. So if you tell yourself negative things, your day will be negative. The other thing is effort, which is extremely, extremely crucial. And the fourth one is ego. You got to let go of your ego. Ego is one of the, unfortunately, one of the biggest challenges, and it comes out of insecurity a lot of times. Ego is important for survival, but too much of ego makes everything personal. That aside, when you have those kind of four basic concepts in mind, then it allows you to start pushing forward. So then I concentrate on health. What is my health? I focus on reducing chronic inflammation, right? And with that comes... Sleeping adequately, getting the appropriate exercise, your nutrition has to be good, stress reduction abilities, and positive emotions. So I always tell patients, do things that make sense. S E N S E: Sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress, and positive emotions. And so that is part of the my way of okay. If I can reduce inflammation within my body, I can hopefully be able to prolong the chances that I'm when I'm going to get a disease or hopefully eradicate it. And then I go back to okay, Sean, make sure you're calling your mom, make sure you're attending to your daughter's needs, make sure you're communicating with your child, make sure you're maintaining a balance with your wife.
1: Now, you have a very busy life, as we talked, and you work a lot. Do you have any specific routines in your day to begin it, to end it, to give you the energy to do all of that?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I have a routine because we're creatures of habit. So I get up in the morning, I do some breathing exercises because that allows my my amygdala to calm down, and and then I go for a quick walk with my dog, I have a standard poodle, and then I come and, you know, look at my life map, because I have a life map that I look at and some of the tasks that I have, and I love coffee, so I have, I pour myself two cups of coffee that every morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. And then uh, but that's how my day is. And then I try to surround myself with just positive people and the team that I've built who are like-minded and move through the day. We strategize and each of us do our part. And collectively we we hopefully achieve what we're after. But I always have a mental image of what I want to do the next day. And so I write it down and I always look at it.
0: Have you seen people who constantly complain about others? saying they don't support them or they are limiting them because of their culture, gender, race, or whatever. Well, part of it can be true. I know that there are data about it, but it also is what we are tolerating in our lives. One of the things that I hope you took away so far is the attitude that Dr. D or Shahram has in life, how he surrounds himself with positive people and how he has the positive glasses on most of the time. See, I'm not talking about not listening to our critics. I'm talking about negative people, the naysayers, right? Because he is probably surrounded with such people as well as you and I. Right, But he does not listen to them. He sees the good in others. He sees the opportunity, the beauty in this culture and in the people who live in this country. Here's an insight. Sean, or Dr. D, is a successful person. How about we follow him and have a positive intent for the next few months? and see how our life changes. What is
1: your dream?
2: I have many dreams. I mean, mainly it's my, it's my daughter. And uh, professionally, how do I serve my community? Women and children are very important to me. I think women hold the key, really, to a healthy society. My profession, I think I've dedicated a lot of my time now for the past, God knows, probably 15 years at least just focusing on women's health because you know, if you give women the tool that they need, both physically, mentally, and you'd recognize that women's health is probably one of the most important areas in shaping the future of our of our healthcare system. You know, just what happens in the first five years in life, for example, with a child is so important. That sets the tone for your health at the age of 80. And if people are now starting to recognize this through epigenetics and through genomic research. So that's been part of my effort with the nonprofit work I do, with my professional life, and it's really given me the pathway to hopefully push forward and do the things I do to try to, you know, meet that end goal finally. I'm sure you've seen the inaugural speech that C. Jobs gave at, at Stanford. It's very interesting because he said, you know, initially I was taking all these courses and I had no idea how they're going to come together. And It's just later that you see how the dots connect, so just keep pushing forward. And that was the case for me, how I got to the profession I am right now. Meanwhile, I was never interested in really women's health and OBGYN and how I got to this point and then just the encounters I had with patients and at work, how they led me to now all of a sudden think the way I do is fascinating. I always tell the younger generation, just find something that you're passionate about, you believe in it, recognize the importance of time, recognize the importance of thoughts and put effort in it because later on you'll see how the dots will eventually connect. And so I've got still a lot of dots that are just flowing out there that I'm hoping that those dots will connect in the future.
1: But it takes time. It takes time. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about your nonprofit work?
2: I started something with the help of many other people called Miracle Babies. And what we do is the goal is to unite families together with their sick newborns. More than 350 to 400,000 babies are born prematurely in this country, over 15 million worldwide. And prematurity is the number one cause of infant mortality. It's also the number one cause of developmental delays in in our society. And so initially when I started You know, thinking about this work, it was when I would ask my patients, because I'm a high-risk obstetrician, I I deal with high-risk pregnancies. So when I was seeing my patients and I would ask them, are you seeing your baby in the NICU? They'd say, oh, Dr. D, you know, we travel, you know, an hour from the hospital to home, so we can't afford gas. We started this during the time of the recession. And so I didn't understand it initially. How could a mom who has a sick child not be able to be with their sick child? it just doesn't make any sense. So that's how the charity started. It was basically making sure that families are united with their sick newborns. So we give out money directly to families so that they can pay for gas, they can pay for, you know, rent, whatever it was to be able to get there. And initially when we started, we were giving it out, you know, across the country up to $2,500 per patient. But, you know, again, I was a dreamer and slowly I realized nonprofits are really a business and the number of applicants started increasing. There are also so many charities, just 6,000 alone just in San Diego, and it's difficult to raise money. And so now the amount of money that's given has been reduced you know, to an average of maybe $400 per family. Again, the premise of it is to make sure moms and babies are united. If a baby is born prematurely, that umbilical cord is cut a little too early, we want to build that connection again with mom and baby. If a baby has a heart defect that that mom needs to be with that child, That's important for not only the baby, but for mom. And now through epigenetics, we realize again, the early years in life are extremely crucial for the function of the child's DNA. A baby needs to hear mom's voice. A baby needs to get mom's touch. A baby needs to get mom's breast milk. Right. All those things are vital, not only for the function of that DNA to start changing, but those neurons in that child's brain to connect together in an appropriate fashion. This is important work. So, we're in every hospital in San Diego, we're in two hospitals in Orange County, we're at Children's LA, we're also at Northside Hospital in Atlanta, and we started this nonprofit also in Tijuana, at the General Hospital in Tijuana. The mission there is different. Over there, we are helping the hospitals. So for example, we built out their NICU from eight beds to 22 beds, and we built an operating room inside their NICU so the babies don't have to go to the adult section. Let's say if there's a gunshot, baby doesn't have to wait for that case to be done for him or her to have surgery. It can be done right in the NICU. So that's some of the work we're doing. And now we're moving more towards, instead of handing out money, to really providing transportation. So we're thinking about getting vans and really becoming a lot more scalable than we are right now we also still provide you know parent hours in the nicu which you know doing arts and crafts allowing the parents to communicate with one another we do something called mb care bags which is basically bags that we spread across all hospitals to all families in the nicu which has got some you know bare essentials it's a lonely place to be in no one who has a child who gets pregnant expects to have a sick baby or to expect to have you know, a premature baby, right? Everyone wants is expecting to have that dream pregnancy and having their baby and holding the baby. But unfortunately, it's not reality for hundreds of thousands of people. And so we aim to, in the future, be able to be the resource for all pregnant women who have any complications with newborns in the ICU.
1: What does the community or... The listeners that are now listening to you and your vision and what you dream of what can they do to support what can they do to help out
2: thank you i mean one is obviously uh you can volunteer you can donate you can attend our walks for example every year we have a walk in you know san diego we have one in orange county next year hopefully in, in los angeles if you believe that this is an important time Okay, help us make sure that these parents are united with those sick children because modern medicine is doing a great job keeping these babies alive. But the small things matter as well. Mm -hmm. The breast milk matters, the mom's voice matters, the touch matters. I always give an example, imagine if as an adult you're in the ICU and you're there for a couple of weeks on your own, by yourself, you know. What happens to an adult's mind when they're alone? Now imagine a premature baby or a baby who's had surgery. So this is really vital. And again, the small things matter. And this is not really small. Uniting a mom with a baby is so important. And so if they believe in it, then come in and get involved with us because we really wanna be in every city in this country that's providing neonatal care. And we need embracers and people that believe this is important.
1: Do you want to provide us with the name of your um, website? Yeah, yeah?
2: thank you so much. It's www.miraclebabies.org. We're also on Facebook. We're on Instagram as well. Hopefully, we'll see the community joining us more.
1: Absolutely, and I'm going to provide that uh, link to our show notes so that people can connect and hopefully they would be able to contribute more. Because, like you you said, not everything has to be financial. A lot of work can go with volunteer work.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: And that's something that all of
0: us need to do more of.
2: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: As promised, I have the link to the Instagram and Facebook page in the show notes. One thing that I found out recently was that there is a 5k superhero walk going on on May 31st at 7.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. So for those of you slower people like me, there's plenty of time to walk or run this event. It's going to happen on a Sunday in Liberty Station NTC Park in San Diego. If you're already signed up, wonderful. Let me know so that we can walk together. If not, and you just found out about it, please go to the show notes and sign up. And we'll meet you there. You told us about
1: this nonprofit that came about almost 10 years ago. Were there dreams that you had that you had to let go of?
2: I am a leap bloomer. I'm not one of those people who, you know, came to this world and knew exactly what I wanted to do, except just for I knew I wanted to be a physician as, at a very young age. But when I started the practice, one of the, probably the first lessons to me was that, at that time I would get excited about, you know, doing a surgery or getting excited about making, a, making the correct diagnosis, for example, for a, with a fetal abnormality, right, because we do ultrasounds on pregnant women and after a while you realize Maron, that these people they become part of your dna right so i never forget i was scanning i was doing an ultrasound of a patient who had a baby with spina bifida who had an opening in the baby's spine and it was the second time i was seeing this family and the way i saw this mom navigate in this room with the family members in the room with me asking questions and how much in control she was you know she knew that there were going to be a lot of challenges for this child later on as far as being physically disabled, and all the different issues that come in play. That's the time when all of a sudden, for me, it was probably the biggest eye-opener that I realized, my God, you know, all of us, all of us, regardless of our religious beliefs, political views, you know, financial stability or instability, we all love our children the same way, right? So that woman, before this child is born, She is loving this child and will do anything for that child. And that's when I realized, why aren't we working much more closely to create a better life for our future? That was the instigator, probably the catalyst for Miracle Baby starting. Because then I started thinking about what are we doing? What can I do in my field to be able to do this? And when I started doing that, that took a whole, probably maybe 90% of my time that I had doing other things. For example building a financial empire for myself, investing in things because this became my priority. So I spent a lot of hours, a lot of hours in my, in my nonprofit work. So I would say the areas that I missed out of was investing a lot more than some of my friends did because their focus was building their financial stability and, and it's smart, but just my brain doesn't think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the community work. I like the philanthropic work. I like charity work and my brain just goes nuts with it. And so I love it. And that's what I want to do in the future. And yes, my my dream is to just do charity work.
1: I see. So you're building your empire around your nonprofit.
2: Around the nonprofits, because there's so much more work. I'm working right now on education, you know, trying to get hopefully a scholarship to some inner city school teachers, be able to create some funding for our teachers for higher education, because I think teachers are invaluable to our society and i just think that we're not paying enough attention to them as you can see just by opening up the newspaper or just going online you'll see teachers are on strike everywhere and it's because we're not putting a lot of value on what they do mm-hmm. and they're tremendous tremendous resources for our future
1: is this something that is already existent or is it something in development
2: it's in development i've met with multiple people now i've you know working on a website i have a logo that i've created I am just, but, but it takes time because you got to get the right people involved and then you got to go after funding. But we've got two separate things I'm working on. One is this, the education part for the teachers, and then one is a mentorship really on physical health, mental health, and finance for the parents because the kids go home to the parents. So it's really, when you see the, the families that we're helping right now at Miracle Babies, these are all patients that are struggling financially. Many of these children end up in these schools, and in these schools that may not have the funding that a private school, for example, has, like my own daughter. Let's get these uh, schools that are willing to work with us and start a pilot program. Let's provide some resources to the teacher so she doesn't have to, he or she doesn't have to think about putting food on the table. Let's give some dollars so that she can take some higher education classes. Let's provide some funding for her school needs. What do you need? in the class and then now on top of it have a mentorship program for really the family. So once a month they come in and they can get educated in collaboration with other nonprofits on again the importance of making sure you're saving somebody, the importance of what are you feeding your child, why should you avoid sugar, why should you avoid you know all this meat and poultry and that has so much hormones and antibiotics in it and, uh, and then also the importance of mental health because again the mind, like we talked about, thoughts, all those play such an important role in our, in our well-being.
1: Absolutely. When there are more details, please provide us, and we would love to share that with the community.
2: I would love it. Thank you. A culture question.
1: Was there something that you learned from your culture that really served you?
2: We value our elders. Like, for example, my my parents are the reason I'm here. Any success I have is really because of my parents, right? Because they left everything to provide a better life for their children. And so I think our culture, like many other cultures, respects the fact that our elders are our teachers and that there comes a time when now they're not able to you know, care for themselves and that we have to be there for them and we have to provide for them as much as we can. So I think that, that has been an invaluable lesson to me. Also, Iran is so close to Europe, so we were constantly amongst other people. One of the drawbacks here for my daughter, for example, growing up is it it takes really a lot of planning and timing, right, to be able to travel somewhere so much farther, right? For example, Europe. It is important to see others, and that's probably one of the one of the valuable experiences for me when I was living in Iran that I had the opportunity as a very young child to visit so many different countries and see so many different cultures. I love to be able to break down barriers, right? Yes. And say we are all really very much similar and working together is actually much more interesting than just, you know, hanging out with people that look like me or think like me, because I can learn from others that don't think like me. So having a respectful dialogue with everyone on this planet is really important, because we can all learn from each other, right?
1: That's beautiful, Um, especially the part that you were talking about, not limiting yourself with the like-minded people, Mm -hmm. but surrounding yourself or exposing yourself to different people. Yes. And how that can support your growth.
2: Absolutely. I think we need to have fenestrations in our skulls. We need to allow our brain to expand much more than we unfortunately currently do. Mm.
1: Probably this is not one of your favorite questions based on what you just talked about, but something in the culture that you had to unlearn it to be where you are. Was this something that You thought, okay, this is in my culture, but no, I don't agree with it.
2: It's a a good question. It's a tough question. Um, One of the experiences that I had when I was given a talk regarding our work with Miracle Babies, and it was when I first had started it, um, in the audience, an Iranian woman stood up and said, well, how is this helping Iranians? And I told her, I said... It's not focused just on Iranians, it's focused on every child. Mm -hmm. One of the lessons that I constantly try to give my own daughter is, again, we are all really just human beings sharing the same planet. So for me, it doesn't matter whether you're Iranian, whether you're American, whether you're Korean, whether you're Chinese, it really doesn't matter. Within the Iranian culture, you know, we are a proud culture, and I understand that, and here living in the States, part of it for me was to be able to tell my Iranian community that, you know, I'm about everyone. And every child deserves the same basic necessities and needs. When I was in Mexico, Maron, I took a picture of a baby in the NICU, and I posted it on Facebook, and I said, do you know where this child is from? And of course people didn't know, because that child may die at a much younger age because of a lack of a catheter, for example. And 15 minutes west of there, that baby will survive, right? So, again, I don't know if I answered the question well. I'm not sure. I mean, I think my brain, thankfully, was nurtured in a way by by my parents that was very inclusive right with everyone and i understand the importance of communication with as many people as possible who have the same belief that again children are our future and we need to do everything we can and really the rate limiting step with creating a much brighter future for our children is making sure that women are given the resources that they need really to be able to whether they want to have children or not Women are innately a lot more giving and a lot more intelligent, I think, than men. This may offend some men, but it's true. I see 60 women a day. And during pregnancy, everything is very raw and real, right? There's emotions, there's strength, there is weakness, there is anger, there is sadness, there's sorrow, there's strength, all of it. You see it all. So you see this throughout the time and one of the most very critical times in your life Having a child that may have an issue, or facing challenges that just you cannot fathom, And seeing how these women overcome it, it's powerful.
1: Who influenced your life
2: the most? My mom. My mom has been probably one of the most influential people in her life, because my mom is a very honest woman. Honesty is key. And I think one of the lessons that she taught me is, be honest with yourself. That's the most important lesson. Because when you're honest with yourself, you allow yourself to be able to deal with your insecurities, to deal with your strains, to deal with all aspects in your life. And so my mom has been an open communicator. My mom not was not only a mom to us, but she was also really a good friend to us. You know, she would talk to us about life. So I told everything to my mom, and I still do. And she's amazing. My mom sees beautiful things in everything. even Even though she struggles a lot. You know, my father has Parkinson's, and my dad is was one of the probably most handsome men I've ever met, you know, most charming men I've ever met. And now you see my father, he's struggling. And so also, you know, everybody else suffers too. But my mom is still the rock there, the sunshine, you know, the light in our life. And she continues to be that person. You know.
1: Wow, how beautifully you described right. her. Passion or money?
2: Passion always. Going back to that inaugural speech with uh, Steve Jobs, everyone should watch that. He basically said, they kicked me out of uh, Apple at the age of 30, but they didn't take the love away for what I did. And so your love and passion and respect for what you do is always going to be the driver. Money will always come and go, right? But that passion is something that you got to hold on to. So if you have it, push forward and move forward. If you don't have it, the dots will eventually connect. Don't give up.
1: One book recommendation.
2: One book right now, what am I reading? I love all Malcolm Gladwell's books. The Art of Negotiation is another one. Eat to Beat Disease by Dr. Liu Liu, I believe. Uh, also, The Longevity Diet is a good book. Another great book really to read is by Daniel Goleman is Emotional Intelligence. If people haven't read that, they need to read it because it tells you a little bit in the first chapters about the anatomy of the human brain and how just in very simple ways how it works. And I think that is will be a very good foundation for people who are interested in learning about You know, the two types of the brain, the thinking and the the primitive brain. And that'll help them actually raise their children better, I think.
1: Thank you. How can our audience connect with you? I know that throughout our conversation, you did, you know, tell us about Miracle Babies and, um, you know, through Instagram and all of that.
2: I think right now, maybe that's the best way you can always... Patients, if, you know, if it's, you know, pregnancy-related, they can always call our scripts line, which is 858 626 Six two four five. Uh, I am developing a website, hopefully uh, very soon, and people can reach us there because we're going to provide expert opinions on things pregnancy related. So hopefully that's going to be coming up in the next within the next six months so they can when you and I connect again, you know we can certainly mention that as well. But um, you know, through Miracle Babies right now through the website, Facebook page is very easy to reach me.:
1: Is there any question that you wished I asked you? that i didn't or there was there something that you wanted to share with the audience and you haven't ha- found the opportunity yet
2: no i think you know you uh, i appreciate you and your time for asking me all these questions and uh i appreciate the fact that you're putting so much time and effort into what you're doing to help the community i think we need more people like you so thank you so much for taking the time and coming and meeting with me as well i, I really appreciate that and let me know i can be of help
1: Thank you. Again, I really appreciate your time as well and uh, cannot wait to hear about these different areas that you're developing, especially around the education.
2: It'll be exciting.
1: It would be very exciting. Thank you again for your time. It was an honor.
2: It it was my honor.
0: On daily basis, we are bombarded with information, things we should do, ways to be, But I'd like to challenge you. What were three things that Dr. D or Shahram taught you today? Was it something about the importance of thoughts? Was it a trick about a work-life balance? Was it a book? Or was it the importance of having a passion in life? Whatever that was, I hope you take the lesson and act upon it. And if you need some support, please know that I'm here for you. Also, if you like this channel, please make sure you subscribe to it because you don't want to miss a successful immigrant story. No, especially not next week's one. Next week, I have a very special guest, someone who have gone through a very traumatic immigration. Also, leave me your comments. I'd love to learn from you. Thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you in the next episode of Empowering Conversations.